Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And so today we're starting a new series on building. And uh, if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this title down, uh, Builders. Builders. You ready to go? Builders. And uh, if you want a subtitle, you can write this down, God Can Do It Again. God Can Do It Again. All right, you ready to go? Chapter 7 of the book of Luke. Everyone that's there said, I'm there. It's okay. Some people get thrown off because our church sometimes talks back. Uh, It's because I think that, I think pastors, um, I'll be honest, I think athletes perform better when a crowd is behind them. I think musicians, let's call, let's call them, you know, worship pastors. I think it's easier for them to lead us in the presence of God when people are actually going with them. They're going, they're going after God with them. And I think it's actually easier in a church context when someone's teaching or preaching the Bible when the crowd is actually verbalizing that they're with him. I'm not performing up here, but I want to just make a point. I think there's something about verbalizing your faith that just kind of charges the atmosphere. And so if that's new to you, uh, maybe you came from a quiet church that wasn't lively. Um, It's just a little bit different expression. We're not better or worse, um, but it's going to be louder. Are you ready to go? If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. Our Presbyterian eyebrow raises. Our our even Latter-day Saint deep breaths. Come on. (sighs) Going to be a good day. Chapter 7, book of Luke. Let's start reading 10 verses. Now, when Jesus had come into the, uh, finished all these sayings, uh, in the hearing of the people, he entered uh, Capernaum, and he, a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him, dear to him, say it with me, dear to him. His servant was uh, sick, and he was ready to die. He was sick and on the verge of death. So when he heard, he heard, the centurion heard about Jesus, what he's done, who he is. He sent the elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his, not son, not best friend, not one of his officers, but he begged Jesus to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, Hey, this guy, you got to come help. This guy's deserving of you to come, Jesus, for he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue, a church, a assembly place. Then Jesus went with him. It's interesting that it was an easy sale. Jesus came right away. He said, Okay. So he went with them, and, and it, was a, it was as he was already not far from the guy's house that the centurion sent friends to Jesus saying, Please, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should come under the roof of my house. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to meet you face to face. But say the word. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. I'm also a man placed under authority. I have soldiers under me. All I have to say to one of them is go, and he goes. I say to another soldier, come, and he comes. And I say to another servant, do this, and he'll go do this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. It's the only part in the Bible in a positive context that Jesus marveled. Three people had large faith, but this was the, this was the uh, chief Chief cornerstone. This was the uh, crown jewel of all faith in the, in the entire New Testament. He marveled one time in Nazareth for unbelief. But this is the only time that God has ever marveled at great faith. And it says that he marveled in that moment. He turned around to the crowd following him and he goes, I have to say something to you. 
I have never seen, never found such great faith, not even in Israel, let alone a Roman professional officer. He says, and, when they, the, and, then, and then he actually sent those guys back, and they returned to the house and found the servant well who had been sick. Pretty cool story. And unlike Harry Potter, or Harry Potter um, <laughs> unlike uh, Twinkle or Twilight, the Starvation Olympics are the Hunger Games. This is not fiction. This is all nonfiction. It's a real story. Can I get an amen? Let's pray this morning, and uh, let's see what God will do. Lord, I just thank you for uh, our, our first home. I want to say thank you for everyone that's worked, that's prayed, that's believed, that's given sacrificially. Thank you, Lord, for, for all the resources, all the people that you've entrusted to oceans. I thank you for all the people that we haven't reached yet that we're going to reach. I thank you for all the miracles that you're going to do that, that haven't happened yet. And we just want to, on credit, we want to just put it to your account that we know that the best days are still ahead of us. We love you, Holy Spirit. We invite your power, your presence in this room. And I pray this will be the, this will be the first of many amazing, epic moments in your presence in this building. Meet us where we are. Lead us in where you want us to be. I pray we have an awesome day. Bless the Los Angeles Lakers. In Jesus' name. Come on, someone said amen. Amen. Got to throw that in there. They need all the prayers they can get. Who's ever been disappointed? All right, three honest people. I'm disappointed at your response. I've been disappointed before. I was disappointed. I never. I was thinking about this today because we just moved into a new building and we spent about uh, probably about uh, four thousand hours this week um, trying to get this place ready. And it reminded me when Rashad and I bought our second house. We bought a we bought our second house. I was so excited because our second home in Idaho, uh, it had a covered patio. That was a big deal. I was excited about it. our first house had a slab of cement that you got sunburned on. And our second house had a covered patio. So I had this amazing idea. We went to church that day. We worked at the church. That was our job. So we were there. And I remember inviting some of my friends. I said, guys, we just moved in. I'm going to go purchase a barbecue and some patio furniture. And we are going to break in our brand new home. And I was so excited. I was just thrilled. I was like, my gosh, it's going to be amazing. And so I told everybody, I got the, I was just totally hype. I'm walking around the staff offices. I'm like, guys, it's going to be made. Barbecue, new patio furniture, covered patio. Going to be incredible. And told everybody, everyone's excited. I'm like, all right, come over at 7 because I'm going to go. Actually, come over at 6. I need about an hour to go pick up the furniture and the barbecue. Now, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not cheap, but I am I'm smart. Any smart people in here? My wife, this is what I believe. If you are extravagantly uh, generous, you better marry someone that's extravagantly frugal. Or you're going to be extravagantly in debt. <laughs> so my wife will give you all that she owns, and I will be like, let's slow down a little bit on the giving. <laughs> so we balance each other out. So I was kind of crunching the numbers, and I, I discovered the barbecue that we needed to purchase for our barbecue that night was at Target. It was like $10 cheaper. So I'm like, we'll make the drive to Target that's 40 miles further. And uh, $15 in gas. We're saving. Um, and so we drove the Target. I, I, I remember going inside. I got the barbecue, got the patio furniture. And the chairs were already assembled. I just threw the chairs in the back of the vehicle. And then the barbecue came in this massive box. I'm like, sweet, okay. So I got the barbecue, put it in the, in the car, and put the, the patio furniture in there. I drive home. I get there about 10 minutes before all of our guests start arriving. And I'm never forget this. We got in the house. 
we got the furniture. Rochelle's putting the furniture. She's fluffing the pillows. Everything. She's got like the, the, the air spray. I don't know why it matters so much to her. Uh, but we got the house. It smells good. The furniture looks great. I got the box. All right, bring the box. Let's, let's get the barbecue out. I got the propane tank ready to go. And I'll never forget, grabbed it over as the guests were starting to knock on the door. And I open up the box. And I'm like, all right. And it was like, you ever done this before? You open a box expecting whatever's in it to stand up. Grab the other side, babe. And we like cut it and we're like, all right, I think this is the right setup. And we pulled it and it was like, um, it was like the largest Lego set that you've ever seen. It was like a 14 million piece puzzle. And every piece fell out. And it was like someone dropped a, like a glass, like a glass vase or vase, however you pronounce it. And it shattered in a million pieces. And I realized, I had this aha moment that I'm like, this thing is not assembled. We're supposed to barbecue right now. And we didn't because I saved $10 to buy one that was not previously assembled. It was one of the most disappointing days of my life. We ended up making grilled cheese sandwiches. Like we got cheeseburger buns and cheese. All right, grilled cheese. Did not barbecue. I spent about six hours losing my, I mean, setting up, setting up the barbecue and trying to hang on to my faith in Jesus. This week we've been assembling Ikea furniture. Jaden got locked in the bathroom. Builders. I was thinking about this idea that to build something means to increase it, to establish it, or to strengthen it. I believe that builders, they increase things, they strengthen things, or what they do is they actually establish it. I believe that God has left us on the earth to establish things. I believe that the goal was just going to heaven the moment we got saved, we might as well just die. If the goal of heaven was to, to just, the goal of life was just to go to heaven, I think the moment you believe in God, God would just take you up. We don't evaporate the moment we believe in Jesus, we stay. And we're here, there's only two things you can't do in heaven that you can do on earth, is you can't sin in heaven, and you can't tell people about Jesus that don't already know him yet. I think one of these reasons is why we're sucking oxygen. Are you following me? Builders. I believe a builder's established. Builders actually not only establish, but they increase and they strengthen things. I love this guy, and there's builders throughout the Bible. I was thinking about this all week. There's guys like Nehemiah that rebuilt the wall. There's people like Noah. Can you imagine Noah? If you got to build a boat, I know a guy. Church jokes. <laughs> this guy's a dad. He's got kids. It's a dad joke. Noah builds his boat. He builds a boat, saves the world. Can you imagine building a ship for 100 years? Can you imagine that when it's never rained? Can you imagine the looks you would get? Some of you get irritated when someone leaves their, like, their, their mower or their bike in their lawn. Can you imagine seeing an ark in Noah's front yard when there's no water? Can you imagine the ridicule that guy got every week, every day, 
when his kids are walking to school and all of his friends are, all the other kids are walking by going, that's the weirdo's house. That's the weirdo's dad. That's the weird kids. That, their dad's the one that builds the, that structure. Can you imagine just building? Everyone going, you're an idiot. What are you doing? I'm building something. What are you doing, man? You're wasting your life going to church every week. I'm building something. Can you imagine the ridicule that people get when you're like, man, wait, you have morals and standards and you're faithful to your wife and you actually believe in honoring God with the first part of the money that you make? What, what, are, you, what are you doing, man? It's like I'm, I'm building something. I believe that throughout the Bible that there was builders. Nehemiah was a builder. Noah was a builder. Moses was a builder. Solomon built the temple. Paul built tents for a living. Priscilla and Aquila were builders. But I love this story in Luke chapter 7 because it talks about a guy who actually was a Samaritan, a Roman officer that actually dedicated his life to doing three things. He was honorable, he loved the Jews, and he built churches. He was a builder. Say it with me, builders. You see, I believe that one of the things we want to be as a community here is we want to live our lives on this side of heaven to build what God is building. It says in the Psalms, I think 127 or 128, it says, unless the Lord builds... Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who? But if God's building the house, those that are laboring are not laboring in vain. We're laboring with God, not against him. <laughs> and I love this idea that we're going to be a church. On our very first Sunday here, I want, you to, I want to announce to you that we're not here to be consumers. We're here to be producers. We're not going to consume the natural resources and be happy just that God loves me. I'm going to heaven. I believe there's things that God wants to give us that actually helps those that are like the servant of the centurion that are sick and on the verge of death. There's three things I want you to write down today in our notes. Is I believe that what, what this guy did as a builder is he did three things. The centurion officer did three things. Is number one, he actually, he lived a life that was actually uh, worthy. He walked worthy of the calling that God gave him. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says to walk worthy of the call in which you've been given in Christ Jesus. I believe that builders, the first thing that they want to do, and listen, there's no, there's no judgment. This is, not about, this is not about good behavior. This is not a behavior modification message. But I want you to know that this is not to the crowd today. This is for the crew. And if you want to know something about Jesus, is the way he talked to his 12 was completely different than how he talked to the thousands in the countryside. Which is really cool that God's expectation for those that believe is higher for those that are just hunting for answers, searching for truth. But I want you to know that here at Oceans Church, those of us that make this place home, we are committed to actually being builders that walk worthy of the call of God. I want to walk worthy. And if I can't get a, if I can't get a Pentecostal amen, just come on, give me a, give me some, give me a, come on, give me a head nod this morning. Is I believe that we are going to be a church that walks worthy walks worthy of the call in which God has given us. What did he do before this miracle happened with his servant? Is he walked worthy? The second thing that he did is he loved the Jews, which if you're taking notes, I believe that builders, they're not only committed to walking in a way that pleases God. And I want you to know this, let me notate this before I go any further. There is a difference between being gifted and being godly. We live in an era of a lot of gifted, gifted people but you could actually be very gifted at playing an instrument or holding a microphone or leading a community of faith, but not be godly. And I believe that God is looking for people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
that when everybody else is bowing, trying to be popular or trying to be well-known or trying to push themselves onto a stage or a platform, I would rather be, uh, I would rather be influential than popular. Many people would much rather, I just want to be, I want to be popular. I don't want to be popular. I want to be influential. I want to make a difference in someone else's life around me. This guy says this, the centurion, he walked worthy. The second thing he did is he loved the Jews, which if you're taking notes, I believe that builders, they make up their mind to love what God loves. Some people are like, well, what, what does this church believe? We get this question every once in a while, like, we don't see your bylaws on your church website. What are your doctrines and creeds of faith? What are your tenets of prolific theological speculation? And they want all these like theological, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're not the church for you. I want you to know I, what we believe here is we believe that we want to be a community that loves what God loves. So if he's into prayer, we're into prayer. If he's into passionate worship, we're into passionate worship. If he's into loving all people, we're into loving all people. If he's into doing what's right in the eyes of God, we're into doing what's right in the eyes of God. I believe that builders make up their mind to build in a way that they want to love what God loves. The centurion made up his mind. He goes, look, we're going to love the Jews, even if he's a Roman officer that's not Jewish and he's reading the Bible. Pretty amazing, right? That this guy is such a builder that he actually loves what God loves and he walks in a worthy fashion. The third thing that he did before the miracle happened is he actually dedicated his life to building a church in Capernaum. This is amazing to me. Can you imagine? This guy leverages, they say that, uh, they say that centurions had a hundred at least a hundred people. They say that uh, the average centurion had 80 uh, military troops and 20 servants. 80 troops, 20 servants. And here's where the story gets interesting to me, is that not only does he walk honorably, he loves what God loves. I know that he loves what God loves because it doesn't say that he was going to bat for his son or a, a soldier. He was going to bat for a replaceable servant. I've heard it said that how you treat people that have nothing to, re to offer you in return actually reveals the nature of who you are. It's easy to scratch someone's back that has the ability to promote you, bless you financially, give you some sort of accolade. It's easy to treat people that have something to give nicely. But how do you treat people that have nothing to give you in return? How do you treat, it's funny to me how like we're like, we're so nice in church, but we're so rude to baristas at Starbucks. We're so rude to servers in restaurants. I've been embarrassed. I've gone to lunches with people before. And I'm like, wait, you go to my, don't tell them you go to Ocean's Church. You're rude. How do you treat someone like you're better than them? Are you following? I feel like I'm stepping on some toes today. I'm just, it's all right, I'm going to go after this. I love this centurion because he's like Jesus. He's actually... He's actually uh, strategically kind to the least strategic person. It's amazing. He's like nice to someone that has nothing to offer him. And he has the heart of a shepherd because the average centurion had 80 soldiers and 20 servants. That's 100. And he's willing to go after. This is the shepherd. This is who God is. Is he goes, man, this one guy is sick and on the verge of death. And I believe that this is what, this is what builders make up their minds. Is they go, you know what? I have 100 soldiers. Scholars, scholars say that this guy leveraged his garrison, which is 100 troops or whatever, 100 people to actually physically build the church and physically pay for the church. These guys were so grateful. The Jewish community was so grateful because they go, not only did this Roman officer 
give us the, the, the manpower to assemble the Ikea cabinets and get Jaden locked in the bathroom. Not only did he leverage the workforce, he actually wrote the check to build the building that we're sitting in today. Now, I want to say that some of you in this room, you're like, not only did you come and serve this week, but you wrote the check for us to be able to meet in this building physically. You're a builder. And I want you to know this is going to be a church that's not built on the gifts of a few, but on the sacrificial giving of many. That's what we're going to do. Come on, give him a good hand clap this morning. And I love this because he's a, he, he loves what he loves. He walks worthy and he builds, he builds a church leveraging his own vocation. He leverages who he is. But I love this. He did those three things, but let me tell you what he believed. It says in the story that before he ever did anything uh, to send the servants out, it says that he, he heard that Jesus, he heard about what Jesus had done. This is what I believe, is that great faith is always connected to some testimony. I believe it's very difficult to have faith in God without hearing first about someone's story of faith. Are you tracking with me? Like, this is crazy, but in the Old Testament, they called it testimony. Testimony literally comes from the idea. It literally means, if you translate it in the Old Testament, testimony means this, do it again. That's what testimony means. They would share testaments, right? Testaments. Like, like they called it the Ark of, Ark of T Covenant, or they call it the Ark of Testimony. If you've seen Indiana Jones, you know what I'm talking about. The Ark of Covenant, the Ark of Testimony, was where the jar of manna was. It was where the, the, the almond rod of Aaron was. It was where the Ten Commandments of Stone was. It was in the, it was in the, the Holy, Holy, it was in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of Testimony, because this is what we know about testimonies. Testimonies tell us what God has done, and what God has done reveals who God is. That is a testimony. When someone gets up and says, I was an alcoholic, I was addicted, I was in darkness, I was in chains, but God, with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, brought me out of this dark place, brought me into this good place, set me free from this bondage. Testimonies do two things. They tell us who God, what God has done, and in turn, what God has done reveals who God is. It's interesting that the Ark of the Covenant, I'll go a little deeper, the Ark of the Covenant had gold angels around it, cherubim around it. And it's crazy that where the Ark of the Covenant had, it had the, the Ark of Testimony, where the testimony items were, they were covered by these gold angels where the mercy seat was. And it's crazy that everything in the Old Testament is actually visible in the New Testament. It's weird. I'm almost convinced that if you can find it in the New Testament, you can find it in the Old Testament. But what happens is when someone shares their testimony, is it's just like the Old Testament, that the testimony pieces are always connected to God's mercy. The mercy seat was right over the testimonies. I believe that when you share your story with someone and say, man, I had cancer. I had this, I, I was perpetually in this darkness. I was in this bondage. When you share what God has done in your life, it's like you're, you're introducing people to the mercy seat of God. Many people have no idea that God wants them to be a builder in their life. And I believe that we will, we will do these things, we'll walk worthy, we'll love what God loves, we'll build the church when we have this simple belief. And here's what I believe this, this centurion believed, is that if God has done it before, God can do it again. It's a very simple thought. 
Well, what, what did he hear that God did before? Well, good question. If you read back in the story in Matthew even, it says that, it says that Peter's mother-in-law lied in bed, sick with a fever. It was at Capernaum. And in Capernaum, not only did his mother-in-law get sick of a, uh, healed of a fever, but actually everybody in the town came after she got healed of her fever. She started making everybody pizza and ordered Krispy Kremes. It was awesome. It was Postmates. And um, they all came to Peter's house, and this would happen. Everyone they brought to Jesus, he healed. And so the centurion hears a story. I, I'd imagine it goes something like this. He meets someone at Starbucks. And the guy at Starbucks, the barista, goes, hey, what's going on? Oh, not much. I'm kind of sad. Why are you sad? My servant is dying. Really? Did you hear what happened, like, last month? No, I didn't. What happened last month? Well, last, last month, uh, there was a church service at, Osh- or at Peter's house. And Peter had a bunch. His mom actually was, like, dying. She had 115 fever. And she was, like, on death's doorstep. And Jesus came into the carpenter from now. Yeah, he came and... Uh, he laid hands on her. She, she got better. And then everyone was so hyped at what happened is they went on social media. They said healing's happening at Peter's house. So then everyone in South County drove to Peter's house, our Ocean's Church off Rancho Viejo Road. And they got there, and it was crazy. Everyone they brought, there was paralyzed people, blind people, deaf people. There was people that had STDs. There was people that had cancers. There was people that had, like, like disorders, eating disorders, bipolar disorder, mental diseases. And everyone that came in that Jesus touched was healed. Everyone. People say this, well, Mark, did Jesus heal everyone that, that was around him? The answer is no. He actually walked in some places and walked over sick people to heal certain people. Not everyone that was alive in Jesus' day got healed, but everyone that came to Jesus, they got healed. And I actually believe this, that to even this atmosphere, you're like, Mark, what, what happens when people don't get healed? Let me just go there for a second. Because I think what, I, what I've come to believe is, is the more people I pray for, the more people got heals. The less people I pray for, the less people get healed. What happens if you pray for someone, and, and I'll be honest, I think many people, uh, they get disappointed. And I just, I don't want to do this. I don't ever want to compromise the integrity of God's power to lower it down to what a, a, a message of Jesus that I can fully understand. I don't know why some people get healed and some people, I don't know why, I don't know why I've prayed for some and, they, they, and others and they, I don't know that answer. But what I do know is I think faith always focuses on what God can do. That's what I know. Faith is focusing on what God can do. And I'll be honest with you, the number one thing that happens when things don't go the way you want them to go is you get offended. And when you get offended at God, you lose your faith in God. And you get disappointed. Can I prove it to you? John chapter 1, John's hanging out with his disciples. One of, the, one of their names is Andrew. And one day Jesus walks by and he goes, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John recognizes Jesus to be the Lamb of God out of Luke chapter 4, who comes to preach the good news to those that are in darkness, right? To release the prisoner from jail cells, to, to pr- proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the recovery sight of the blind. John says Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for in John chapter 1. But what's crazy is a a couple months later, in Luke chapter 7, if we read on here, it says that John actually sends people when he's in prison. I want you to catch this for a second. John sends people while he's in prison to go ask Jesus if he's the Messiah. How does he go from boldly declaring the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, to now he's locked up, incarcerated. He's like, hey guys, go check this guy out, see if he's real. You know what happened? is he thought that the Messiah was going to come and liberate those that were in prison. 
But John finds himself incarcerated. And he starts questioning, wait, I preached about the Messiah having the power to liberate people from prison. But here I am locked up. If God is really God, wouldn't he get me out of the condition that I'm in? So he sends people, and and this is what I love, is that he starts focusing on what God can't do. Because that's what doubt does. Doubt will always get you to focus on, well, God, can God, I don't know, I don't know if that can happen. I don't know if if God will do that. I don't know if churches really should believe that. I think we should bring theology down to something that we never have to apologize about. I love this because it says that John sends messengers in Luke chapter 7. I'll just read it to you. And, 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 and Jesus' response to these guys is, hey, go tell John in prison that what you've seen and what you heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Do you know why he tells them not to be offended? Because when you're believing for a miracle and it doesn't happen in your timetable, you get offended. Well, he said he's going to liberate those that are in prison and I'm locked up. Don't be offended when it doesn't happen as fast as you want it to happen, the way you thought it was going to happen. And I just feel like, man, this is maybe for someone today. I just, I had this overwhelming sense that, that this Roman centurion, he just believed that God can. He heard. Testimony is this is believing that God can do it again. So you're at Starbucks, you're like, yo, this house was crazy. Everyone that came in got healed. You should go to the house. And everyone that came to Jesus were healed. I believe at Ocean's Church, we had a really prophetic guy or prayerful guy, if that freaks you out. Prayerful guy said this to us. He said, Mark, your church is going to be a cancer-free zone. He said it's going to be unusual. It's going to get out in Orange County that if people need healing in their bodies, they're going to get healed. The bank can come up here because I'm going I'm to go after this today, if that's all right. I've been, I've been traveling. I, I got to travel the last 10 years before I started this church. I traveled. I've been, I've been, I've been a lot of different countries and nations. And um, I'm not the best talker. I'm not the best looking. I'm close. But um, not the best looking. Joking. Just kidding. Seriously, though. Um, but on a serious note, uh, I got, I've been able to go all over these different churches and conferences all over the world. And. I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you guys, but the very first time I went to Australia, uh, I was so nervous. I, I have no idea how it happened. I was youth pastor in Boise, Idaho, which if you don't know where Idaho is, neither does the rest of America. Um, so I'm there, and I got a phone call from a pastor in Australia, one of the biggest churches in the state, or in, a, in Australia, and he said, hey, one of my friends was just in America, and he met you at a conference. It was just a total God story that even led to this. I spoke at the Dream Center for like five minutes to share how I engaged, I got proposed to my wife in the Dream Center. And this Australian pastor was there. My cousin, Benny Perez, was speaking. He's like, get up and tell the church how you proposed to Rochelle. So I got up and I said, hey, Pastor Matthew's amazing. He let me propose to Rochelle in the Dream Center. And that was the story. And um, so that's all I said. There was an Australian pastor in the room when I shared that five-minute story. And this this Australian megachurch goes, uh, we had a, a speaker scheduled to come to our conference, and he backed out last minute. And he asked this other Australian guy, he goes, hey, you go to America a lot. Do you know any, like, good American, like, younger youth pastors that could come speak at our conference? And he's like, well, I was just at Tommy Barnett, or Matthew Barnett's church, and I heard a guy speak for a couple minutes. I think he'd be good. So I get a phone call. He's like, uh, he's like hey, I'm from this church in Australia. We're looking at maybe our, our speaker backed out. We want to bring someone in from America. Would you, would you want to come? And I was like, uh, yeah, 
yeah, I get it. Like, where's it at? He's like, well, this is where it's at. I said, okay. He's like, yeah, we're at Bishop Jake's, um, Creflo Dollar, and uh, there's a couple other speakers that are going to be at. Ravi Zacharias is going to be there. Um, and we want you to come and be part of, like, the speaking lineup. And I was like, <laughs> and I just, I was like, I was, I was freaking out, to be honest with you. So needless, needless to say, I sought the Lord. <laughs> they scheduled me to go there. Long story. They, I sought the Lord. I fasted. I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm going to say. Like, I'm just going to listen to all their messages and hope that I speak before them. Um, but what I did is I just fasted and I got there and never forget, I got this huge room and it's nervous as heck. It was a Christian way of saying it. And uh, I got up, it's a full room and I, and I had a message. This was, so, this was so unfair of God. I had a message that I kind of like dialed in, I prepared for. And in, in, the, in the music part of the message, God just said, don't do that. I was like, no, you know. It's not fair. I've been studying. He said, don't do that. I was like, no. He said, my power is going to hit this room. And I was like, uh. And I was like having a conversation. I'm like, God, I like it here. I want to come back. And, uh. And I just got up, and he just like, I, I, God gave me like a verse to, I just read a verse. And, I, and the verse came alive, was out of James chapter 5. It was on prayer. And I just started sharing, and then, and then I just started praying for people. And I'm telling you, like, I'm, I've never healed anybody, but I pray for people. And it happened before this, when I was 18 in Bible college, at, a, at my first summer camp, there was a girl that broke her leg. She's a basket, college basketball player. And I was singing, and I'm not the smartest guy, but I had a vision of me walking. She was in the back of the room and laying my hand on her cast, and I saw God healing her foot. So I'm like, stupid God. But I did it, and God healed her foot. It was the first miracle I've ever seen. So I'm in Australia a few years later, and I started praying for people, and God started moving. And there was a guy, he's like six foot six. He was driving me around for the conference. I knew him for like 24 hours, barely knew his name. And he was sitting like right here, and I said, hey, Chris, would you come out? Is that your wife right there? And he's like, yeah, it's my wife. I said, get in the aisle. I said, I don't know you, but I do know that God's telling me to pray for you right now. And he told, I don't know why. I don't, I've never done this before, but I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you that you're going to have kids. And the church was like, Ugh. and then I just like, I was like, no, it's not just that. You're going to have kids biologically. And the whole, it's, it's like 2,000 people in this room. And they're like, they all knew because he was a pastor on staff that his wife had had like, well, I don't know if it was a full hysterectomy, but actually had organs in her body removed. So when I said this, they're like, this guy's not getting invited back. And uh, never forget, I, just, I stood out. And it's only, I'm not trying to, this is not like an everyday, this is like this top 10 sports center place, so don't think this happens. <laughs> Chevron yesterday, and but this is like a top 10 play, but they stood out. And the power of God hit this couple. I said, God's, God's doing it right now. And it was almost like someone like shoved them back. And they're on the ground, and someone had to catch them. It was crazy. I'm like, my God, I've turned into Benny Hinn. Like, what's going on? Pick him up, Johnny. Like, no. It's like, uh, I had no idea what's going on. And, uh, but they went down on the ground. And I'm not kidding. They, they got them. They, they were on the ground. And it was so wild that um, it was just, it was a crazy night. I went home from Australia, and within a month, I got a message. It was like three or four weeks later. Chris and Christine Collins, they were pregnant with their first kid. They haven't had one kid. They've had two kids. 
And it's a documented miracle that there was things in her body that were not there that God put physically back into her body. That's called a creative miracle. Now, some of you are like, that can't happen. I just want you to know, I want you to think about this for a second. God made everything out of nothing. Maybe you think it can't because it doesn't go into you, maybe your cemetery or seminary degree um, explanation of who God is. But I want you to know that God can do anything. And I, just, I, I don't know why, I just feel like pushing this a little bit. Is this guy made up his mind, the centurion goes, God, you can do anything. Testimony says, God, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.